Hi there, this is Amy Oztan with amyeveraffter.com and we are putting up an episode today from a couple of years ago on one of our most popular topics, how to pay for college. And in this episode, we talked to Jocelyn Pearson, who is the founder of the scholarship system, about how she was able to pay for her entire college experience with scholarships. That's over $100,000. She gave us some really great tips, some really valuable information, and we hope you find it as helpful as we did. Hi, welcome to Parenting Bites. This is Rebecca Levy of Kids Views. I'm here today with Amy Oztan of Amy Ever After. Hi. Hi, Amy. And Andrea Smith, technology guru extraordinaire. Hi, ladies. Hello. Um, today on the show, I feel like, you know, who's not talking about college admissions, but we're going to talk about something a little different, which is how to get money legitimately. How like you can get <laughs> money instead of spending out the money. Um, we have a scholarship expert on the show today who's going to talk all about the system she developed to get scholarships, find scholarships, apply to scholarships, keep track of all the scholarships. There is so much money out there to be had for kids um, from high school, even while you're in college, even graduate school. So we're going to have her on and tackle this huge issue of how to afford college. So we are here today with Jocelyn Panita Pearson founder of the scholarshipsystem.com, the scholarship system on its own, not just the .com. But we are so excited to have her on today because we know that affording college is probably top of mind for all of our listeners. You know, we've gone through some of the admissions process with some other guests. Um, and I think in light of the college scandal that came out this week, where people have seen the extraordinary amounts of money that some people have to buy their children's way into college. Uh, forget about affording it once you're there. This huge chasm between sort of haves and have nots is starker than ever. And I think people don't realize how much money and opportunity there is for a lot of kids to be able to afford college. I think this made it feel even more daunting for a lot of parents. So Jocelyn, we are so happy to have you on today to tackle this because it I think is the number one concern of parents I think most parents aren't just concerned with the getting in they're really concerned with how they're going to afford it yeah absolutely I'm so excited to be here and I think you hit the nail on the head I mean there's so many studies out there about parents losing sleep about this I mean this is definitely top of mind and that's why it's such a rewarding space to be in so I appreciate you having me well let's sort of jump right in and talk a little bit about how you came to this on how you developed this scholarship system? Yeah, so it's, I think some of the best things are found by accident. And that's actually how the scholarship system came about. When I was in high school, my parents sat me down and said, you know, we love you, but there's no way we can afford this cost of college because I have multiple siblings. And they said, there's just no way. And so um, I actually had just also watched Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University in school. We had some weeks to kill after exams or something like that. And, and it showed me this debt snowball and it made me terrified, absolutely terrified of student debt or any debt for that matter. And so when my parents sat me down, I said, oh my gosh, you know, well, I don't want student debt, so I've got to find something else. And that was what really began my journey to scholarships. And like most families, I figured I had to get 
you know, a big offer from a university in order to get a free ride, or I had to win this Dr. Pepper or Coca-Cola scholarship. And we can talk about some of those in a little bit. Uh, and if I didn't, then there was no way I'd get a free ride, but I was pretty stubborn, fortunately. And so for the next year, I was applying to what I thought were legitimate scholarships and they weren't. And we can define that a little later. Uh, and I nearly quit because I spent a whole year and didn't hear anything back, but I got tons of spam uh, and it just got sucked into what I call borderline scams. Uh, but then towards my the end of my junior year in high school, I finally won a, a $500 scholarship. And while most parents are probably listening to this thinking, $500, that's not even textbooks, um, what that $500 was for me was really, it, it validated the idea that, okay, there is money out there. I just need to know the right places to find it and and what it a legitimate scholarship actually looks like. And from there, my senior year, I kept building on this information, this knowledge, and kept tweaking my strategy and got enough to cover my freshman year. And then when I got to college, I got enough to cover my sophomore and then junior and senior. And by the end of it, it I got six figures in scholarships, graduated completely debt-free. Wow. And, <laughs> yeah. and I thought, I this is, sounds pretty ignorant, but I thought a lot of students did that until I graduated college and all of my friends were talking about how they were, you know, having a hard time making ends meet. And I was over here traveling with my then boyfriend, now husband, and, you know, investing in my 401k and all this stuff. And they were like, well, you know, friends were reaching out and saying, how did you do this? You know, or, or family with kids still in college. They were asking me how I did this. And when I kept telling them, I, I realized, oh my gosh, I sound like a broken record. This was just, it was repeated steps over and over that were fine-tuned to the point that they worked. And then that's when the scholarship system was born. Wow. I love that story because I love that you didn't just get defeated by your parents saying that to you because I think you know kids are already feeling so much pressure about getting in and then when you take on that financial piece it can be very overwhelming for a kid because like you said like you're just starting to understand finances most kids don't even understand that you know or aren't getting even that video you got to watch right so you know how how does someone start? I think people can get overwhelmed by um, the websites that start coming mm. at you, especially as soon as your kid takes a PSAT. Um, you know, it's like fast web and this one and that one. And, and it does feel like almost like a lottery, like just mm -hmm. throw your name in this email list and now you're entered and you never hear of anyone winning. Well, I started uh. sending my son those kinds of emails and saying, oh my God, you should apply for this. And it was my son <laughs> who was like, this sounds like a scam. And I had no idea whether it was or not. You know, it's funny because kids these days or our students, they're, they've been they were born into this dot-com age, right? And so actually they're doing a better job at identifying the scams than parents. And so a lot of times it's hard for me, but I have to have that conversation with mom and dad saying, no, stop sending those. Uh, your, your student is right. Because they come back and they say, well, someone has to win them. Why not spend the 15 minutes? But you spend 15 minutes on a hundred of them. And you just spent a lot of time that you could have instead put towards perfecting an essay that could be reused on legitimate ones. And so you, you guys are not the only ones. Those are the ones. So you use the perfect uh, term lottery or what I call 
it's sweepstake scholarships. Mm-hmm. They're sweepstake scholarships. And that's what I primarily applied to my junior year because they were quick and easy. You know, I could sit there in front of the TV and just knock them out. And to, for those parents that are wondering, what are these look like? These are the ones that can take five to 10, 15 minutes to submit. Maybe they have one short, like one sentence essay or a 250 word essay. They don't ask any kind of criteria. And basically that's, it's what you said where you just put your name in the hat and they randomly draw a winner. And those are not the scholarships we want to go for because those are based on luck. The ones that we teach students to go for are the ones that are actually based on credentials and skills and and accomplishments because those are the ones that are within our control, right? So if it's based on luck, we are just literally relying on luck. But if it's based on skill and and essays, essay quality and things like that, we can actually improve our chances by improving our materials, right? So so that said, you you know, I, I got sucked into those and my inbox that I used to sign up for those now has over 20,000 unread messages. I had to just completely start a new one uh, because what they're doing, the reason I call them scams, and that might be a harsh word, but it's borderline a scam. What they're doing is they're collecting the emails from those drawings and selling them to affiliate marketing, uh, affiliate marketers. And so that's why you get flooded with all of these emails and some students don't know better. It's, it's great that your son did know, but a lot of students don't. And so they just get bombarded with all these emails. And so we don't want to waste time on those. So I guess when we're talking about where to get started, your initial question, first, let's, if it's okay, I'd love to just define what a good scholarship would be. Is that okay? Please. So obviously we talked about what is not a good scholarship and that's these sweepstake ones. They take five to 10 minutes. They're not really based on credentials. They're not something I can compete for based on my own qualities. A legitimate scholarship would be on the other end of the spectrum where they're asking for things that can be used to identify whether or not your student is going to be a good fit for college and beyond. So the way that I tell my students, the way that I describe this to our families is you want to think about scholarships want to invest in a student. They want a student that will be a positive return on investment. That means this student's going to take the money, go to college and do something with it. And you know, that doesn't mean that they need a perfect GPA. A lot of times we can justify a less than perfect GPA with a good essay, but we need to show, hey, we, you know, we're actually going to do something with our with this money, with our college degree, and with our lives. And so the way to show that is through, you know, whether they have essay requirements, they might ask for transcripts, they might ask for recommendation letters. So these m- will take a lot more time but you can do way less of them than these random drawings. So, and there's some that are in the middle of the spectrum. Maybe it's only one or two quick essays and transcripts, but that's still a lot more than just throw your name in the hat. And so that's what we want to look for, those legitimate scholarships. So I think the first thing is for families to just understand what are we looking for? And that's really what started changing my path on this. So how do you... You know, I think sometimes people also have in their mind that your kid can only get a scholarship, like you said, if they have a perfect GPA or crazy SAT scores or they're an amazing athlete. You know, let's say you have your run-of-the-mill kid, like good, solid kid, and they're not a star athlete, but maybe Mm -hmm. they're on the school paper or they, you know, do a lot of community service or, you know, or they play an instrument. Where, How do you even begin to find scholarships that are tailored to your kid? Yeah. And I love what you brought up because so many, I I was the furthest thing from an athlete. I mean, for those that know me or have followed the scholarship system for a while, they've probably heard my funny softball story. I 
was so far from getting any kind of athletic scholarship and actually less than 2% of college students even get money for athletics, which is funny because that's a path that a lot of people assume that's how you get money, Mm -hmm. but it's not. So athletics are pretty much out anyway. And then there are scholarships out there that don't even ask for GPA or for example, us as the scholarship system as a way to give back, I started giving out scholarships three or four years ago and we ask for GPA, but we only have it as a backup for a tiebreaker. It is not a requirement per se, and we have yet to use it. So we actually hide GPA whenever we're looking at uh, our our applicants. So there are scholarships out there that don't even ask for GPA or have a GPA requirement of, for example, 2.5. So a lot of students are eligible there And same with, you know, ACT or SAT test scores. A lot of scholarships don't even ask for those. So as far as, you know, students being average or or however they define that, I think a lot of parents would be surprised at the amount of scholarships that they can qualify for because scholarship committees are normal people. They know that not everyone's a great test taker, but they can still be very successful. And that's where the essays come in. So, but as far as finding these, I, if it's okay, let's start talking about, I'd love to dive into just kind of how to get not overwhelmed. You mentioned websites earlier, so we can talk about where to find these. So the, the first place that all families should look, whether they're average or not, is, is looking local because those are going to be the low hanging fruit. So that's another common myth that we often run across is, you know, even I fell into this where I thought I had to get a Coca-Cola scholarship, which then you do need this amazing GPA or ACT score, what have you. But the local scholarships, only local students can apply to those, so there's less competition. And a lot of times they're more lenient on requirements anyway. And where we can find those is first and foremost, of course, looking at your own high school and talking to them. So a lot of high schools these days are putting them on the website, whether it's a you know Blackboard or um, it's, it's behind a login screen or sometimes it's just on their website. So students should always check their own high school's website. Another strategy is checking high schools around yours. So sometimes a different high school might have found out about a scholarship that yours didn't. So I always recommend students looking at schools around them. Additionally, I always recommend students actually going into the guidance office. I know this sounds crazy, but there are still scholarship. <laughs> they're like, wait, what? I have to go inside? <laughs> um, but but there are still committees out there that are on the paper method because they're, you know, an old Rotaries Club or an Elks Club where their members have been in this for, you know, 30, 40 years, and they are just sending letters to the schools still. So walking into the office and saying, hey, do you have any that are not on that website and applying? You can even still do that, you know, for uh, while they're in college, even I got a scholarship by walking into my advising office and saying, do you have any? And they still had a paper method for applying, which is absurd, but it's, it's accurate. And then another place to look locally are local community foundations. Now this is just direct bullseye to huge money opportunities. Community foundations get endowments and, and donations. And I mean, just one alone can have half a million dollars that they give out annually. And a lot of times, if our seniors get them, they get them every year while they're in, in college. They reapply, but they get more and more money typically each year. And so those local community foundations, that's a great place to start. Now, uh, for you know, I know some of you are members of the scholarship system, and so you you've heard of my Google method, which is the easiest way to find these. And we can talk about. I know we're limited on time, but I can share a webinar later where people can learn that. But just googling 
local community foundations, you know, say you're in Dorchester County, you can do Dorchester County Community Foundation scholarships and look through those that show up. That's a quick way to avoid those overwhelming websites and still find a lot of potential dollars that have less competition, which is just, you know, it's it's great all around compared to going to fastweb.com that's going to flood your email with junk. Having a child who's actually gone through this, I can only say, and, and I know it's easier now with common applications and everything, but, you know, when kids are going through this and they're so stressed anyway about taking tests and looking for the right school, uh, writing their essays, this, I mean, it takes time. And I know there's a certain kind of kid who'd be really good about, about sitting down and writing essays for these particular scholarships. Mm -hmm. But I get the feeling, or I got the feeling then, that it was just like, yeah, there may be like $200 here or $400 here, but man, it's not worth the time because there's so many hoops Ooh, yeah. to jump through. How do you, you know, how do kids balance that? Because they're the ones who have to do the work. That's a great question. And that's actually so funny. You guys are just running down the list of myths that we address. <laughs> and, and one of them is, first off, that, you know, these small dollar scholarships are not worth my time. I will tell you right now, I got one scholarship that was a, uh, a few thousand, that was $7,500, which is obviously a huge chunk. But after that, my scholarships were $1,000 here, $1,200 here, $600 here, $500 there. And they added up to six figures. So there, and I think behind the $7,500 one, my, my largest one was two or $3,000. Now, again, that's a decent amount, but I went for all of those small dollar ones. And here's why. One of them was only, I want to say, five or $600. And when I applied, they actually, they were giving out two awards. I was one of the students that applied, one of four students. So only four students applied because of exactly what you just said, I'm sure, where they said, ah, $500, that's not worth my time. And what the committee actually ended up doing was they said, well, you know what, why don't we find an extra $1,000 and give all four of them the award? And that's what they did. So it was a 100% success rate because I just applied to this $500 scholarship because no one else was willing to because they thought it wasn't worth their time. And even still, if you think about it, even you know a few hundred dollars, there's no way that that essay is going to take them 12 hours of time, right? It's probably going to take them a couple of hours to, to really perfect this essay. And so that is still probably $50 to $100 per hour pay rate. So I don't know what student can possibly ever get that hourly rate, but that is something to think about. And we've actually sat down with students where we're like, hey, let's calculate. Let's calculate how much you would get per hour on this. And it's shocking. But that said, the, the final myth around this is that it doesn't have to take a ton of time because, you know, while they're putting a lot of effort into these scholarships up front, you'll find that a lot of them have recurring themes. And so a lot of times we can reuse at least parts of our essays. And for example, one of our um, students now coaches, uh, as a, she's one of our coaches in the scholarship system, she says that she thinks she probably used about four to five core essays and she was able to get six figures in scholarships. So, you know, up front, it's, a, you know, an investment to get these scholarship essays done, but then they can reuse, rinse, and repeat. And that's where you really start getting this well-oiled, streamlined machine, and show, so it doesn't have to take a ton of time. And do you feel like, um, you know, they're going to have to write these essays anyway for college? <laughs> And uh -huh. so do you feel like there's an alignment between a lot of the scholarship essays and what becomes a personal statement and supplementals on their common app? 
Oh gosh, absolutely. I mean, we we teach personal statements in the scholarship system because it's it, it, that's basically what a lot of scholarship committees are asking for. They don't call it a personal statement, but that's really what they're asking for. You know, what do you want to do with your life and why? Or what are you going to do with this scholarship money? Or why do you deserve this scholarship money? A lot of times you can at least pull the stories that you talk about in that personal statement. So so absolutely, they can reuse these. And, and really what colleges are looking for is the same thing that scholarship committees are looking for. They want to say, okay, if we admit this student, are they going to do something with this degree? Are they going to come in and invest in the campus, be an active member, and, and take this degree and do something with it? Scholarship committees are thinking the same thing. So 100%, these essays can absolutely, they, they're all around the same core stories that students can use. So I will say, so my daughters both dropped out of applying to the Coolidge scholarship. They just, one one was doing it. And then she was like, I can't deal with this right now. And then the other one's like, I'll do it. And then she was like, I am so not dealing with this right now because <laughs> all the deadlines for it hit right at finals. Mm. Um, and it just became, it was like the worst timing possible. They had state exams and finals at the same time. Oh my um, and it was one of those things where I was thinking like, how do I motivate them? I mean, this is a full ride scholarship. And I think to Andrea's point, it was really hard for them to see that big picture potential of a full, what a full ride would look like, right? You're potentially talking about almost Um, Mm $300,000 if you're at, you know, a private university. And it's still, it still became this additional thing in their middle of their junior year, you know, aligned with all these horrible things that was just too much. Um, I am wondering, is there a way how do you keep track and sort of pace it so that, you know, had they sort of known earlier or had, honestly, the scholarship just didn't open earlier, which was part of the problem, um, you know, how do you set up that kind of timeline so that your kids can pace the workload and their, you know, if they're going to apply to scholarships, how they can incorporate this into what they're already doing without totally freaking them out? That's a great question. And this is why, you know, I get families that are, in their sophomore year in high school or their student is in their sophomore year in high school and they're like, oh, it's too early, you know, we'll come back. And then I get my families that are in their junior, senior year and they are freaking out and they're like, why didn't we start this in the previous year? And and it's just funny, I'm like, you know, where's this year where people think it's perfect timing because right. it just seems to go from, it's too early to it's too late. And and I always wish that I could connect people to, to you know, the families that have seniors to let the younger families know, start now. Because the thing is, you know, as a sophomore, and actually there are scholarships that younger students can apply to as young as four years old, which a lot of people are surprised (laughs) to hear. Yeah, they draw, they submit drawings and they win a bond that matures when they are 18. Um, And so there are scholarships out there for kids as young as 13 years old, 14, 15. And so in my opinion, the best way to spread this out, and I know it's tough because a lot of parents don't think about it. They're just trying to think about surviving high school, never mind paying for college already. But for those with younger students, start in ninth and 10th grade. I actually have a a close friend of mine. He pays his 11-year-old $5 for every scholarship application that she submits. And even though she's not eligible to apply to all of them, she is becoming just a scholarship machine. So by junior, senior year, she has these essays ready to go, perfected, and she can knock them out and just submit. 
So that said, you know, the younger that they can do, that, that they can begin, they can start at least identifying the scholarships because a lot of times these days, the nice thing is that you can research them and find the deadlines. And a lot of times the deadlines are the same year after year. So I can find scholarships as a sophomore that I can apply to as a junior or senior, put them on my calendar for next year, and maybe maybe put the, the due date a month earlier just in case they move it up a week or something like that. But most of the time, the scholarship deadlines are the same year after year or around the same time. So what they can do is start snowballing their efforts, start doing the research right now, and then you know, they can start looking at these essay topics, start seeing some common patterns. And that's where you can start saying, oh, okay, I can use this experience for this, this, and this essay. I can use this experience for this essay. And you can start compiling them. And then when we get to junior year, senior year, we now have these core essays that we can just kind of tweak as we need. We already have the list of scholarships we want to apply to. We know the dates of our local ones so that we don't miss those. Those are big ones. We know the dates of our university ones so we don't miss those. So that way, junior year, it's just about, junior and senior year, it's just about hitting the submit button over and over. You know, there's ways to just streamline this so that they can collect the materials and that way they're not starting from scratch every application, which is another thing that we really stress. Because yeah, it is a lot to ask of our teenagers. They're doing more than any generation before us. I mean, it's absurd what teens have to do. It's crazy. And so if we can spread it out, the earlier the better. Now for those that are not, you know, maybe they're down to the wire. I was just about to ask about that. For those of us who didn't start at four years old, for those of us who say maybe have a senior, um, is it too late? When are the deadlines for these generally? So I will say it's never too late because I was getting money. If you know, if you caught this during my story, yeah. I was getting money all the way through college. So it's never too late. My last check I cashed on my way home from college graduation. So it's never too late. But that said, they if they're applying for scholar or sorry for college, then they can absolutely use their admissions essays, like you just said, and and grow on those. I used one of mine year after year uh, for scholarship applications, but also. And, and I know some of them don't want to hear this, but over breaks, they can cram. And, and that was actually my strategy because, like I said, my junior year went to waste. So I was actually one of those students that was down to the wire because I wasted a whole year on scams. And so what I found was I did passive research in the meantime during the weeks, you know, some of our families, what we recommend is setting up scholarship Sundays where they dedicate just, even if it's just an hour a week, and that's their dedicated time to do research. And then over breaks, you know, whether it's winter break or spring break, they can knock out a lot of the essays. And and this is, a, we call it batching. So you're batching these applications and it'll be one heck of a day. <laughs> and maybe we need some some snacks and make it fun, maybe invite a friend over that can that also needs to apply for scholarships, but it, you know, you can batch them if they're not a student that wants to do a regular every week, maybe an hour, hour and a half every Sunday. So, but that said, it's not too late, I promise. And You've talked a lot about um, essay-based applications. Are there applications that involve, like, I have a musician. Um, mm. And so are, are there scholarships for the arts and for things like that that aren't connected to the schools? Like, a lot of the schools will give scholarships, but are there ones where, say, you send in a video or something like mm-hmm. that? Absolutely, there are. And actually, that was a lesson that we recently added because video essays are becoming more and more popular. 
but yeah, there are por- portfolio-based scholarships is what I call those. A lot of times they are through the university. I will, be, I will say that music scholarships are harder to come by. I almost think it's because people know that that's a career path that typically struggles financially. And so there's just so many people looking for money in that area. So it's mm. very difficult to find. So I always push my fine arts students to think of scholarships they can get not not to close the door on those, but to try to think outside the box. You know, what else can we look for as well? But um, but yeah, there's scholarships. That, that still falls in the realm of competing for money, right? You still have to submit something that shows your skill level, whether it's a recording of playing a, mu- uh, a, a musical instrument or submitting a drawing or a photography, you know, some sort of portfolio. That's skill, still skill-based. But yes, to answer your question, there's absolutely ones like that. All right, Jocelyn, this was so crazy helpful. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, I know there's so much more to what you teach and what you do. So um, where can people find sort of more information and hopefully get started? Where would where should we send them? Yeah, absolutely. And I wish, I mean, as you guys know, I try to cram as much in here as possible. No, it's <laughs> really so helpful. Much, <laughs> there's so much to it. Um, but we we have a blog where every week we post new blog posts. They're always very in-depth, step-by-step guides. So they should check out our website, thescholarshipsystem.com. And that's where they can get access to a lot of free resources. We have a free writing guide. We have all of those blog posts. Um And then if they want to learn, for example, my Google method, if they want an in-depth training on where to find the scholarships, especially, that's what I focus on in the training, we have a free webinar and they can just go to thescholarshipsystem.com slash free webinar. And and that is what I highly recommend. It's about an hour long training where I go much more in-depth about the myths and where to find them. And I think those two places, oh, and also of course, follow us on Facebook. We share scholarships and helpful articles on there. So that's, if you go to Facebook, just search the scholarship system. So if they go there, that we have so many free resources to help families. And of course they can always reach out to us if they have any specific questions. Oh, that's so helpful. Thank you so much for joining us today. This was great. I hope we help a lot of parents. (laughs) I think people feel so daunted right now. Um, I feel helped. Yay, good. Good, Because there is money out there. I mean, I think, I can't remember, you probably know, like, the statistics of how much money is left on the table every year that's not, that nobody goes for. You Um, know that, I don't have the specific number, but there's over $125 billion in money overall. So, lots of money. Yes, go get it. (laughs) Right. Thank you, Jocelyn. Thanks so much for having me. It was a blast. Great. Bye. We will be right back with our Bites of the Week. We are back with our Bites of the Week. Amy, what do you have? Okay, this is a fun one. So the Sesame Street Twitter account, like the official one, they tweeted out a question. It was, you're stuck on a deserted island and you can pick one of these Sesame Street friends to come with you. Who are you picking and why? And it's a picture of Oscar the Grouch, Grover, Elmo, and Cookie Monster. And the conversation that ensued from this was amazing. Like people really (laughs) got into it and they really had some opinions about it. Not just like, like there were famous people, non-famous people, like everybody was getting in on this. And BuzzFeed, of course, collected some of the best tweets and put them all in a list. So we'll just link to the BuzzFeed thing. Um, 
it, because it's it's so much fun. Like, oh, where was one of my favorite ones? It was actually from um, Questlove. Um, Grover and Elmo ask too many damn questions, and I don't want to find out that Cookie is an omnivore on a deserted island. So I'll <laughs> pick Oscar because he won't nag me with questions. It was the whole conversation is just delightful. So going to link to that. Oh, it sounds awesome. Who would you pick? Oh, my God. You know, I'm tempted to say Oscar just because I'm an introvert and I feel like he wouldn't talk to me a lot. <laughs> so I think just for that reason, I would pick I would pick Oscar the Grouch. How about you? I think I'd pick Grover because Elmo's too annoying and his voice would get at me. <laughs> And I do feel like Cookie Monster also has just a limited conversational ability. And also, <laughs> if you find any food, he's going to get you at first. Yes. Um, and I feel like he could really turn. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like if he gets hungry enough, he's going to turn in a bad way. But Grover, I think, I know he asks a lot of questions, but he has a lot of really good conversation and he tends to sing the good songs with everyone. Like I'm all for Grover. <laughs> And and he can fly. Oh, that's that's <laughs> he true. He could be super Grover. So that's a good point. How about you, Andrea? Well, you know, I would have said Elmo, but Rebecca's right. He he could probably be like <laughs> too, you know, overwhelmingly positive and cheery. So that may get really bad. But maybe Snuffleupagus. I kind of like Snuffleupagus. Not a choice. You Not a to, choice. Nope. You have to no. pick one of the four. Oh, God, I totally blew it. Which, tell me the four again. It was Oscar Cookie the Grouch, Monster? Cookie yeah. Monster, Elmo, and Grover. Oh, but I want Snuffy. <laughs> but Snuffy's imaginary. <laughs> no, he's not anymore. I know he's not. You know that he, I was traumatized when I was um, about four. I went to the Sesame Street set and Snuffleupagus was coming down in two pieces on the freight <laughs> elevator. <laughs> He was being lowered onto the set, and I was, uh, it just did me in. <laughs> oh my, you know, I have to tell you, I visited the set as an adult, and um, they were really great about letting us take pictures and film anything we wanted, but they said the one thing that we couldn't do was take pictures of dead Muppets, which is what they call the Muppets when nobody is operating them, yes. like when they're just lying on a table. So I see why. No dead Muppet pictures. You will traumatize four-year-old Rebecca. It is true. I did bring Cookie Monster a huge box of cookies from the Italian bakery in Brooklyn. Oh, <laughs> yes. that was so sweet. I, I still have, they, they let me have, I sat in Big Bird's Nest and um, they let me keep a feather and I have it framed with the picture of me in the nest. Oh, that's, that's awesome. cute. <laughs> All right, Andrea, what do you have? So this is really funny. I'm not one to watch videos of teenagers, right? Like reacting to old people thing, but <laughs> Digital Trends <laughs> has a video of teenagers trying to use a computer with Windows 95. <laughs> and this really strikes at the heart of who I am. I mean, I'll never forget going to the Windows 95 launch. Uh, I think it was the first time as an ABC uh, reporter and producer, we actually got a Bill Gates interview. That's when he used to still go to these launches. It was the hugest thing ever. Windows 95 was the hugest thing ever. And this is literally eight minutes of teenagers looking at a video and saying things like, this is prehistoric, like a dinosaur. <laughs> Wait a minute, how do you get on the internet if there's no Wi-Fi? Because there was no built-in Wi-Fi right, in Windows 95. And the 
person says, well, you had to use a modem. And they say, what is a modem? And it's really hysterical. And it had me laughing and cringing at the exact same time. <laughs> um, like the whole idea of that dial-up now or that TSPIP, you know, like yeah. waiting for the sound. It actually reminds me of the insurance commercials that my mother did, you know, yes. waiting for, waiting for <laughs> dial-up. All right. I'm going to um, post both audio of the sound and your mother's commercial. And my, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. And um, basically, it, it's just hysterical. And finally, one kid says, God, this is just such a pain in the ass. So uh, we will post a link to this video. It's funny. It's so funny. I don't I, think I would do much better with Windows 95 at this point. I think what's really intriguing to me, having watched this technology evolve, right, like using AOL and dial-up, is the whole idea of... Wi-Fi. I mean, Wi-Fi is ubiquitous. You know, you walk down the street and you can get Wi-Fi. You're on a college campus, you get Wi-Fi. Everything has Wi-Fi. And when Wi-Fi was first baked into um, browsers, it was huge. Like the first thing that we do now when we set up a new computer is connect to the Wi-Fi. And then everything else is instantaneous. But back then, it wasn't even built in. So really, that's how far we've come in, you know, not that many years when you consider how fast technology moves. Sure. I remember watching the launch of Netscape. I mean, there was no, yeah. there was no browser. There was no way to actually surf the web. You were in these like closed gardens of Prodigy or AOL. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, I remember, I remember my, at my first job, we all watched it. <laughs> we were all like, woo. <laughs> That's awesome. We're the little shooting old. star in the commercial. Yeah, yeah so old. It just I mean, feels now, so I don't think you know, we're old. We, technology just moved so fast. Technology moves at lightning pace. I mean, now we'll go to a you know a press conference, and the first thing you do is like, what's the hashtag? What's the Wi-Fi code? You know, how can oh, I tweet yeah. if there's no Wi-Fi? How can I do this if there's no Wi-Fi? And this literally, I mean, the launch of Windows 95 right there. There was no Wi-Fi. There was right. none of this. Plug it in was your just, Ethernet cable. Here's an operating <laughs> system. Yep. Yes, that is trying to be like a Mac. Um, so my bite this week is sort of in line with our guest, um, or at least in line with college, which is an article in New York Magazine, which has been breathlessly covering the college scandal. It just loves it. Um, but this article by Malcolm Harris is so good. It's called The College Admissions Ring Tells Us How Much Schoolwork is Worth. And it's actually not about the scandal. It's about kind of about the price that people paid for it, but also about how do you quantify student labor? Like, how do you quantify your kids, the amount of work they're putting in all week, and then the extracurriculars, and then, the, you know, like, how do you do that? And they were saying, it if you look at how much these parents are paying, and the fact that college admissions officers off the record will admit that it's about 10, a $10 million donation is what secures a child's admission. And he said, so if you figure out that's about $100,000 worth of labor for every year of your <laughs> school life, <laughs> that kind of makes sense, you know, you know, give or take how different first grade is from 12th. But like, that's how much labor a high achieving kid who would merit getting into a university, this kind of university should be getting paid for the amount of hours and time and work they're putting in. Hmm. 
Um, it's a really interesting article. It's like the whole idea is that your labor is unpaid with the idea that you get compensated indirectly later, right? So like grades are sort of validating you, test scores sort of validate you, but that what these rich people were buying for their kids is basically human capital, the appearance of skills and abilities that didn't actually exist. <laughs> hmm. And so it's a really interesting way. I don't know. I'm going to send it to my daughters. Like it's an interesting way I almost for them to look at how hard they work, <laughs> like the effort they put in this whole idea that unlike your job where you get a raise, unlike anything else where you have measurements of how hard you're working, the whole idea of working this hard is for how it pays off later in life in increased wages and whatever. It's maybe it's part of why our kids are so stressed because they can't quantify this in any way except college. And that's what is part of the pressure about getting into college. I don't know. But it's a really interesting article and it's a really interesting way to, to look at it. Hmm. I just remember being really, really, really immature in college and not wanting to go to class. College was just like the next thing that I was supposed to do. And I wasn't always really into going. And then another student was like, why would you skip a class? You're paying for it. Right. And I was like, I never thought of it that way. Not a, and according, I guess, according to that article, not only was I paying for it, but I'm doing free labor. So, Right. I mean, it's an interesting, I mean, he's mostly talking about, obviously, like public, if you're going to public school, I guess your parents are paying for it if you go to private school your whole life. But it was, yeah, it was just to me, it sort of almost sums up why kids in particularly middle and high school are so... They just don't have anything to like hold on to that's tangible for all the work they're doing or the not work they're doing. You know what I mean? Like there's not your grades are the only way that gets quantified. And even that is so, I don't know, subjective and random in some ways. So I don't know. It's a really interesting way to look at it. And um, and a little depressing. So I'm going to go back to thinking about Sesame Street. <laughs> yes. Go back to thinking about how... Uh, Oscar would quantify his, his free labor of living in the trash. Uh, so that is our show for this week. We will have links to everything we talked about on parentingbites.com and facebook.com slash parentingbites where you can find us and talk to us and comment. You can find us anywhere you get your podcasts. You should rate, review, subscribe, share. Um, and until next week, happy parenting. Bye. Bye. Hey, this is our Parenting Bites disclaimer. Everything we talk about on the show is our own opinion. Any products we recommend, it's our own personal recommendation for entertainment purposes only. If you buy something through our affiliate links or you just happen to buy or see or read or watch something that we recommended, it's at your own risk.